Hello, and thank you for listening to the Vineyard Church Springbrook podcast of Vineyard Church right here in Alcoa, Tennessee. If you haven't already, you can check out our website for more information about our church or find our audio archive with all of our previous messages at www.vineyardchurch.us. You can also subscribe on Apple or Google Podcasts. Now, let's hear this week's message. All right, uh, greetings. My name is Justin Cook. I'll be reading scripture today. It is from John 3, 1 through 17. So there was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. After dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What do you mean, exclaimed Nicodemus. How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? And Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants, just as you can hear the wind but can't tell where it comes from or where it is going. So you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. How are these things possible, Nicodemus asked. Jesus replied, You're a respected Jewish teacher, and yet you don't understand these things. I assure you, we will tell you what we know and have seen, and yet you won't believe our testimony. But if you don't believe me when I tell you about earthly things, how can you possibly believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ever gone to heaven and returned, but the Son of Man has come down from heaven. And as Moses, lift, was lifted up on a bron- or as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. God sent his Son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. This is the... Word of God. <laughs> Thanks be to God. <laughs> oh. You want to preach? He should, right? Um, sorry about that. Sorry about that scripture. Uh, it's really fun when uh, you forget to change it in your notes because you rewrote the whole thing this week. It was Luke. And then I just felt like Jesus had us in John, so we came back to John. Um, before we jump in, uh, I do want to tell you something. I've had a couple of questions about this, but um, uh, we have a dear friend named Doug Floyd, Father Doug Floyd. He's the priest of the Anglican Church, and we do uh, loads of things with the Anglican Church. And uh, you may have seen on social media or heard through the grapevine, but his and his wife's house burned down last Sunday. Um, to the ground, a total loss. They sat on a bench in front of their house and watched their house burn to the ground. Um, they lost both of their cars. Uh, everything they owned, they got a phone. I think they each had a phone and they found an iPad. And so uh, I actually saw him this week and he was holding the iPad. And I was like, you're one thing. And he, if you know him, he died laughing. He was like, I got one thing. That's all I got. This is who he is. He is uh, precious to us and precious to me. Uh, and so our church has give, they set up a GoFundMe uh, to help them try to buy new cars and, and meet some things while they wait on insurance. And, you know, um, insurance will come through, but there will be more. 
Uh, and so our church has given to that. But if you would like to do that personally, um, anything that you get, we have a ministry we call The Box. And so anything that you uh, give, if you want to write on a check, the box in the note, you can put it on an, env- uh, an offering envelope, cash or whatever, and write the box on it. Anything given the box will uh, give to the Floyds this morning. You can also do that online uh, when you go to our online giving platform. Uh, instead of checking, if you pull down the, the pull down menu, uh, instead of checking Springbrook, you just check the box and, and, and we'll know that things given there will go to the Floyds today. So uh, there, there's, your, there's your way to do it. Uh, let's pray and then we'll jump in to John, not Luke. <laughs> Jesus, uh, we thank you for this morning. My friend Sandy told me she read this morning that um, you put eternity in our hearts and you grow it. And so we ask for that this morning, for more of that this morning. So we've been doing, I pray that's what you will keep doing, that you will place eternity in our hearts and you will grow it. I pray that um, in these next few minutes you will be with us and would we believe that you are for us. Uh, in your name we pray. Amen. Okay, so I uh, want to start today uh, by talking about belonging. And I wonder if you have any stories about doing something, um, probably if you tell a story about it, something really dumb in order to belong to a group or to be accepted by a group. Do you have these stories like, you know, you dyed your hair or you bought something crazy or you did a dare. I think we all have stories like this. It's called middle school or junior high, right? That's just a big experiment on doing dumb things in order to be accepted in a group. I was thinking as I was writing for this that I'm so grateful my mom is who my mom is and that she was in my life in middle school uh, because of the things that she kept me from doing in order to fit in. I legitimately think I could spend the entire morning talking about things I almost did in middle school that she kept me from. But here's one. Um, girls at my school uh, did this thing where they would shave stripes into their eyebrows. Have you ever seen this? Yeah, you're nodding. I guess you're my age. Yeah. Okay. They would shave stripes into their eyebrows. And um, my, I remember getting in the car after school with my mom, and I was like, hey, can we run to the store real quick so we can get the little tiny razors for eyebrows? And she was like, what are you talking about? I was like, I'm just going to shave some stripes into my eyebrows. And she was like, no, no, we cannot go get the little tiny razors. I don't even know what you're talking about, but no, absolutely not. And I was like, I just want to fit in with the cool girls. And she was like, that's not cool. <laughs> no offense if you have stripes shaved. I'd love to see it. <laughs> um, I wish I could say that puberty was the only time that I was willing to do ridiculous things to fit in. Um, But most of my stories actually take place in college, which is, I think, another experiment on how to do dumb things uh, to fit in. Uh, I worked at a camp in college on the weekends. Uh, Camps, I think, are notorious for, like, weird initiations, things you have to do to to get in the club. Um, and when I was working there, was a, there was a group of older guys that, uh, that worked there, this like crew of older guys. Actually, uh, it's sort of alarming to me how many stories of dumb things I've done started with, well, there was a group of older boys. And um, so th- there was this group, and, and they told me that if I wanted to be in their crew, I had to eat something off of one of the dirty plates that came through the dish room that all the campers ate on, and they got to choose what it was. And I was like, okay, you know. And so it does. The plate comes through, and they found a piece of chewed gum that somebody left on a plate and they're like, you have to chew this for 20 minutes. And I mean, I did because like I wanted to be in the crew, right? Like any disease was worth being in this crew that was nothing, just made up. Like that would just, they just were people. Um, A few weeks, no disease was worth being left out in my mind. Um, 
A few weeks later, uh, they started a second, more elusive crew, much smaller. And uh, one of them was trying out for Survivor. And so they were filming these uh, tricks off of the platform of this ropes course. And this is just a for free life rule. If you've got a buddy trying out for Survivor and they want your help with the video, just say no. Like, as your pastor, just, it's a no, right? Um, so, but not me. Um, we, they're filming this video and they tell me, if you want to be in this more el- elusive and exclusive, club, then you have to do a trick off the platform of this ropes course. I'm so sorry, mom, that you don't know the story. Um, Off the platform of this ropes course that no one's ever done before. And me, the moron, let those clowns, they were 20, tie me up at the top of this platform that's what, 30 feet tall? I I don't know. What is it, Dad? 30? 30 feet tall. They tie me up on this thing and I do a backflip off a platform with a rope that they secured. You know, like it's just dumb, dumb stuff. And then it was really stupid because he didn't even get on Survivor. Like it wasn't even worth it. Later, when I was the older kid at camp, I remember the, the younger crew of people coming, and I was like, hey, listen, if you want to get in my crew, you got to eat something off a plate, a dirty dish that comes through the dishwasher. And the person I, I said that to, they looked at me and they're like, no. And that's when I realized no was an option (laughs) for the first time. (laughs) We do uh, bizarre things in the name of fitting in. We do bizarre things in the name of belonging. It's why there's things like an ice bucket challenge and a cinnamon challenge and a ghost pepper challenge. Uh, It's honestly why social media exists. Uh, we buy things we don't need or we can't afford. We read or watch or listen to things we don't even really like. We wear certain clothes or shoes or hats or brands. We're all susceptible to it in our own ways. We all have stories like this. Uh, Because according to Maslow, who, if you remember from school, his hierarchy of needs, uh, according to Maslow, the desire to belong is a fundamental human need. It is part of being human. We want to belong because belonging is part of our identity as human beings. Truth is, the question, where do I belong, it's a question that every single human being asks at some point in their life. Or if you're like me, many, many, many points in a lifetime. Uh, in our story that Justin read for today, we meet a man uh, called Nicodemus. And Nicodemus, he, he was a guy that thought he had the answer to this question of belonging. Uh, John tells us that he's a Pharisee, a a religious leader. This is what this means. If he's a Pharisee, it means that he was born into the right family. That was the first thing. He had to be born in the right family. He was a descendant of Abraham. He had the right Jewish heritage. Uh, If if birth certificates had been a thing in the first century, Nicodemus, like how we frame diplomas on the wall, I think Nicodemus would have framed his birth certificate on the wall. This is what I come from. This This is who I am. Everything in his life had moved in a direction toward proving that he belonged to this, uh, this, this club, this team, this, this, this organization, this structure. He had the right family. He had the right lineage. He went to the right schools. He had the right kind of life in order to be right for his profession. Uh, we talked a couple of weeks ago about uh, the Hebrew school system in the first century. And, and you don't get where Nicodemus is in his life by chewing some old bubble gum or by shaving your eyebrows. You get where Nicodemus was by being chosen again and again and again as the best of the best of the best. On paper, Nicodemus is the definition of belonging. And yet... When we meet him, he has found himself sneaking away late at night, John tells us, curious about Jesus. 
And when he finds him, Nicodemus, he, he begins by calling Jesus rabbi or teacher. Nicodemus, who was the teacher of teachers, he starts the meeting in the dark as a student. That's super interesting to me. He calls him rabbi. And then the first thing he does is he lists the reasons why Jesus could belong to the family that Nicodemus belongs to. Uh, Nicodemus, he's full of religious power, and, and this is him informing Jesus that he fits within the religious power that, that Nicodemus calls home. He says, Rabbi, we know you've been sent by God to teach us. You have to belong to God and to us because only God can do the kind of things that you're doing. He says this statement, but it kind of reads more like a question. And then Jesus replies in a very typical way for Jesus when he replies, it is bonkers, or it sounds bonkers. I tell you the truth, he says, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What? That isn't really what Nicodemus was talking about. He says, Rabbi, I know you belong to us because you can only do what you do if God is with you. And Jesus says, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus, he, uh, he came to Jesus because I think he wanted religious uh, discourse and discussion, maybe debate. He wanted to, to learn, and that's the way he would have been used to learning, this uh, discussion, like Socratic kind of, kind of learning. But Jesus, uh, he replies with a metaphor and a really confusing one. It had to throw Nicodemus. Uh, if you're someone who likes to debate people or like discourse to learn, then you know that metaphor is the most maddening thing to be introduced to a debate. You're like, what do I say now? That's what happened. Jesus, he replies to Nicodemus' statement of belonging with a metaphor about what Jesus thinks belonging means. Essentially, what Jesus is saying is this, to belong here to belong to what I'm part of, what I'm doing, the kingdom of God at work in the world, you have to set aside the identities of your first birth and take on the identities of a new birth. What he's saying is, Nicodemus, your birth certificate is framed on the wall and your whole life points back to it. Points back to being born into the right family with the right Jewish heritage. It has your, been your ticket into every single thing that you've ever done. But Nicodemus, God is starting a new family where uh, the family you're born into isn't what matters and the school you got into isn't what matters and the laws that you follow and the morality that you flaunt, they aren't the way in. They aren't the ticket. In fact, it's a kingdom with no tickets. And Nicodemus says, what? That makes no sense. That's my paraphrase. What? This is what he knows. His identity has, has always been his means of belonging. And he says, what do you mean? Am I supposed to crawl back into my mother's womb and then get born again into a whole new person? When he says it, it reads uh, confused and curious. I also think it reads a little bit sarcastic. Like, oh, yeah, I'm going to crawl back in. If you've seen The Chosen uh, in this moment, he says, I can't crawl back in because my mom's dead. So what am I supposed to do now? Like, that's kind of how it reads. Uh, Basically, what he's saying is, Jesus, I don't know what you're talking about. I thought we were talking about one thing, now we're talking about this other thing. And so Jesus, he answers again. And his next answer, he talks about wind and spirit and water and new birth and mystery. And all the while, he's inviting Nicodemus into this new way of belonging, this new identity. Jesus says, uh, this new life, it is about new birth. It's an identity beyond Abraham. It's an identity beyond your history, beyond what you've done and beyond what you haven't done. It's a belonging where love is the way in, not a birth certificate, not a prestigious resume. 
I think the metaphor of uh, new birth is a really interesting one because it points to a baby. And all babies do is, is take and be really, really cute. But mostly they take, right? A baby, they cry and they sleep and they take far more than they give. In fact, uh, what they have to give, what they have to offer is the product of love that's been given to them that they're full of. Jesus is declaring that what it takes to belong to his kingdom is the ability to be loved by him. Not all of the other things that Nicodemus was about. And I don't know about you, but that sounds like great news. The way in is the ability to be loved. It's great news and also terrible news because I'm way more comfortable loving than I am being loved. The point of God's kingdom, uh, the kingdom of Jesus that Nicodemus, that he's talking to Nicodemus about is that the doors have been thrown wide and they have been thrown open. Uh, Nicodemus, he's used to a system where the only uh, ones with all of the right things are the ones who are allowed to belong. And Jesus is taking that system and he's flipping it completely upside down and turning it on its head. But the spirit of God is on the move in the moment bigger and wider than any human family or lineage or tribe or structure organization or system or denomination could ever hold. That's what Jesus is saying. Uh, Frederick Buechner, who I love, believes that it's in this moment of the conversation uh, that the wind starts blowing and he sets the scene. He's like, there's a candle and the wind starts blowing and it starts flickering the flame. Jesus uh, says that this new birth, this new belonging is, it happens like the wind. It doesn't happen uh, with the structures that hung Nicodemus's birth certificate on the wall. Instead, it's something that flows wherever it wants to. And for someone like Nicodemus, that had to sound in, incredibly terrifying. His life had been a uh, controlled series of events that worked entirely in his favor from start to finish. And then Jesus says, I'm inviting you to take all of that and set it aside and take up a new thing. And it's going to be like the wind blowing wherever it wants, completely outside of your control. Anyone in this room feeling a little anxious right now? N.T. Wright says uh, that the equivalent of this is that the spirit is opening up the window in order to let a wild and inconvenient breeze blow in. A breeze that messes up tidy things and a breeze that blows around all of the nice, neat piles. Nicodemus, he had this tidy existence. His piles were sorted and stacked and labeled. I was trying to think of the first century equivalent of a label maker and I couldn't get there, but I bet he had it. And then comes Jesus who opens up the window and lets the wind in to mess up all of his piles. Brian Zahn says Jesus was the monkey wrench in Nicodemus's theological system, and he was the pebble and the shoe of his certainty. It's a dangerous and inconvenient message that comes to Nicodemus in the middle of the night, this invitation to set aside his power and his control and his birthright and to take up something new, Something as unpredictable as the wind. It's an interrupting message, an offensive message. But Nicodemus, he keeps leaning forward and he keeps listening. And it's at this point in the conversation that Jesus uses another metaphor. uh, One that Nicodemus could understand a little bit more clearly. Uh, Jesus, we read it, uh, and it's like, there's a snake on a stick? What? You know, but, but to Nicodemus, uh, Jesus reminds him of a story that their ancestors has told. Jesus shares heritage with Nicodemus. He gets it. And so he reminds him of this story about how God's people were wandering in the wilderness, and um, these, like, poisonous snakes invaded their camp, and they started killing off uh, the Israelites, killing off their people. 
And God, he makes a way for the people through their leader, Moses, who uh, makes this bronze serpent and wraps it around this, this pole. And, and he would hold it up in front uh, of all of the people. And anyone who looked at the pole and looked at the bronze serpent would be uh, rescued. They would be saved from the poisonous snakes. Uh, if you've ever wondered why a lot of um, medical things use the, the, the pole with a serpent around it, can you picture it? Uh, it's because of this story in, in Numbers 21. And it wasn't the bronze serpent that saved the people, uh, but the love of God who had rescued them time and time and time again. And so Jesus tells Nicodemus, in this story that you know, in this story of our ancestors, I'm the bronze snake. I'm like the bronze snake. Moses, he put the serpent on the pole and he held it high above the people as a symbol of the God who loved them and who would make a way for them when there seemed to be no way. And Jesus is telling Nicodemus, that's who I am. I'm the snake on the pole. I'm, I'm the evidence of how much God loves the world. That he sent me to make a way where there was no way. So that anyone who puts their eyes on me, like your ancestors, lifting their eyes to this uh, bronze snake would be rescued. And then he says, Justin's favorite line, I didn't come to judge the world. I came to rescue it. Nicodemus, I I haven't come to be a hall monitor or a taskmaster. I'm not here to check to make sure God's people are doing the right things or or to just make them a better people. And sometimes when I read this story, that sounds like the craziest part of it. It sounds crazier than anything else Jesus said. Because all Nicodemus knew of religion was tasks and rules. Anyone else? He was a Pharisee. It was his job to be both a hall monitor and a taskmaster. But Jesus is saying, I didn't come to be that. I didn't come to be a Pharisee to check in to make sure everybody's doing what they're supposed to do. I came because God sees you and he knows you and he loves you. And it is his great desire that you would be defined as someone who belongs to him. As someone seen and known and loved by him. And so it's because of that love that I will be raised up like a snake on a pole as the picture of everything that has destroyed the world and all that has destroyed you in every way you've brought destruction because God sees you and he knows you and he loves you. For God so loved the world. It's our most famous verse. The message version of the scriptures reads like this. This is John 3.16. He says this. This is how much God loves the world. He gave his son, his one and only son, and this is why so that no one would need to be destroyed. By believing in him, anyone can have whole and lasting life. God didn't go to all the trouble of sending his son merely to point an accusing finger telling the world how bad it was. He came to help. He came to put the world back to right again. Uh, For Nicodemus, it's an invitation out of the darkness and into the light, uh, literally and figuratively. Jesus is inviting Nicodemus into something that would mean setting down the things he thought gave him power and belonging in this world for a chance to belong to something bigger than he could have ever imagined. To set aside his worldview as a Pharisee and to take on a new set of lenses, uh, a new way of seeing the world through the kingdom of God. An upside down kingdom where uh, the things that the world said made you something have no real bearing, but a kingdom where the God who made you says you're something. The only way for Nicodemus to find uh, the new life that Jesus was talking about was to take a risk, to see his tidy boxes as they truly were, 
the boxes he presented to the world in order to belong to it, the boxes uh, that were as meaningless in this new kingdom as chewed up bubblegum. Jesus is daring Nicodemus to take his birth certificate off the wall, to quit being defined by that. And he does. Eventually, he does. At the end of chapter 19, it's toward the end of John's story of the life of Jesus. There's this scene right after Jesus has died and he's just been taken off the cross and he's handed to, the, to this man named Joseph of Arimathea. And then verse 39, chapter 19, verse 39 says this. When, with him, with Joseph, came Nicodemus, the man who had come to Jesus at night and he brought 70, about 75 pounds of perfumed ointment made from myrrh and aloes. Uh, At the end of John's story, we find Nicodemus again, but this time it's in the light of day. It's not in the dark of night. And he's brought 75 pounds of burial spices with him. Uh, It's an absurd amount of burial spices. He needed about two, and he brings about 100. (laughs) He, He probably only needed two, but he brought the amount that you would bring if you were burying a king. It was a statement. There's a witch hunt going on and everyone associated with Jesus is running for their lives. But Nicodemus, who one time snuck to see Jesus in the dark, now shows up in the bright light of day with more spices than anyone could ever need to make a statement, I belong to him. He is the king. You don't do that because you're just curious about Jesus. If you're curious about Jesus, you sneak in in the nighttime, right? You don't do that because you're just interested in some of the things that Jesus is about. The only reason you show up in the light of day with buckets full of spices is because something has happened in you that can only be explained by a move of God himself, by the mystery of God himself. You don't show up unless you want to declare that you belong to the man who's just been raised up on a pole for everyone to see. You don't show up unless the innermost places of your life have been opened and awakened by the love and the mercy of the Spirit blowing like the wind wherever it wants to. There's a British uh, writer and theologian named Theodore Sparks, and he calls this a reconstitution of the inner being. That's the thing that hit me this week. Following Jesus, being a Christian, it's far more than an interest in Christianity or in Christian things. Rather, it is a declaration of belonging a reconstitution of our inner being. Dr. Sparks says it requires an opening of our innermost places to the kind of weakness that love responds to. What Jesus uh, dared Nicodemus to, to do, what I think he's daring us to do is really risky. He's saying, peel away the outer layers that cover up the weak and innermost parts of your heart, the parts that you would never risk showing to the world because they would certainly expose you or disqualify you. And allow the wind of my spirit to land there, on those parts. Not on your shiniest places, but on the ones that you could never imagine that anyone would ever want to love. And when you do that, lift your eyes to me, who does not point an accusing finger, but who will lavish you with love in all of your unlovable places. Uh, I have uh, a few preaching heroes. Uh, One is... Eugene Peterson, he was a pastor and teacher. He wrote the message version that we just read from a few minutes ago. And uh, he died a couple of years ago. And um, 
uh, I've told this story before. It's it's my fa- one of uh, one of my faves. Uh, he died a couple of years ago, and at his funeral, his son spoke, and he gets up in front of the, a whole room of people and the watching world. You know, Eugene Pearson was a huge deal. Everybody's watching uh, to see what he says. And his son stands up, and he tells a whole uh, room full of people that his dad had everybody fooled, and he only ever had one sermon. It's like every preacher's nightmare. Cam and Graham, do not take notes. Be like, she had a whole bunch and she was brilliant. And, and everybody will get it, you know. Uh, he stands up and he says, he only had one sermon and he fooled all of you. And he said, here's how I know, because for every night of my life, he snuck into my room. And as I slept, he whispered this into my ears, his one and only sermon. And he said this, God loves you. He is on your side. He is chasing after you. And he is relentless. God loves you. He is on your side. He is chasing after you. And he is relentless. That's the point of our story today that God is on Nicodemus' side. Not because of who he was or what he had done, but because of love. That Nicodemus was being chased relentlessly by the one who made him because of love. And whether this is the first time you've ever heard that or the millionth time, if you've come here, you've heard that story 10 times. I, I know, I tell it. The same thing is true for you. God loves you. He's on your side. He didn't come to accuse you or to shame you. He came to rescue you. And it is that kind of love that's chasing after you. And it is that kind of love that will not give up on you and will not give up on your people. It is relentless. So here's what I want to do. I want to take a breath here. The band's going to come on up, and, um, and we're just going to take a moment, and we're just going to breathe. We do this every week here at the Vineyard, and we just create space to not move on too quickly from, from, from this. So um, there will be some verses on the screen, uh, some real good ones. And so if you want to follow along, that's great. Um, I have a couple questions if I can uh, boss your time around. Feel free to use this however you want, but I have a couple questions for you that I feel like the Holy Spirit gave me. Uh, for us. So if it works for you, maybe sit in this question. Uh, here's one. Uh, do you find yourself in the dark? Maybe the, it's circumstances, maybe it's questions, maybe it's doubt. Uh, do you find yourself in the dark? Um, Justin, who read the scripture, he says this to me all the time, and it's true. God is not just a solar God, but a lunar God. He is not afraid of the darkness or of your life or the darkness of your question. And so if you find yourself in the dark, this is space for you. Uh, the second thing, Jesus, oh, oh, no, no, sorry, that's on this. Jesus, I wrote this down, I forgot. Jesus uh, and Nicodemus, they're talking about new birth, and it is not lost on me that a womb is as dark as the night is, right? A womb is very dark. It is, it is an okay place to be. Jesus is not afraid of the dark. There's something about the kingdom of God that begins in the dark, that begins in a womb. Uh, okay, the, the second thing is, um, I wonder where might the Spirit of God be challenging you to reimagine or rethink things? That was part of the thing to Nicodemus is, is this way to reimagine his lenses, reimagine the way he views the world. And I wonder where God's Spirit might be uh, asking you to do that. Where are you clinging to old identities or hopes or belongings? Where are you trying to shave your eyebrows in order to get into a certain uh, thing? Where might God be inviting um, you to rethink? Uh, and then... Uh, The last one, um, where might God be inviting you to risk opening up a window and letting the wind come in? I don't have more explanation than that. I just feel like it's a question. That might be for you.